This, this is Brock and Salk. Brock Ewart is my hero. Jay Buter just punched me in the kidney. Powered through the Alaska Airlines studio. On Seattle Sports Station. Well, we're going to excuse you from the interview. It doesn't really work that way, Sherm. This is a show that has my name on it. It kind of does, though. Brought to you by Carter Volkswagen in Ballard. Now here are your hosts, Brock Ewart and Mike Salk. Hello! I might have to alter the percentages, Brock. Again, it's a constantly moving target of whether or not Gino is going to sign here in Seattle. What's going on, man? Good Monday morning. Yeah, good Monday. I figured that, kind of looking at your email last night. Now that Gino's on the record, now that we get to see him play again, Mike, and just throw seeds all over the field, dart after dart, five touchdowns. He stole the Pro Bowl. He was he was the best quarterback out there. He was much better than, you know, Jared Goff and Trevor Lawrence and everyone. I mean, I'd pay the man just based off that. That's right. I tweeted that I, mean, I was yesterday. trying to give him a compliment. I know you and I both. I kind of gave him a compliment. people took it oh. very seriously. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I said, Gino, 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 franchise flag football QB. <laughs> and he showed it yesterday. He did. And people were hating on him. Like, you stop hating on him. I'm not hating on him. He was terrific. He yesterday. was terrific. But yes. it doesn't mean anything. No. But it was fun. And yep. he was in command. And, you know, he, he seems to have the respect of all the people around him. At least I saw him. I didn't even see Quandre Diggs. I watched like five hours of Pro Bowl coverage. I'm not even sure he was there. Yep. So, yeah, that was fun. No, I think that that's an important piece. I think I shared a story last week of how at the NFL Combine, Donovan McNabb mm-hmm. just resonated. How everybody, it was just like, man, it was Donovan's world and the rest of us were just kind of living in it. It was not necessarily that way with Gino or any of those players in particular. But it also wasn't like, oh, you don't belong. Right. It, it wasn't like me at a, at a Super Bowl golf thing, an event where Warren Sapp, I get introduced. You know, there's all these players and, and he says, who? Like, oh, thanks, Warren. Thanks. Appreciate that. Yeah. That. Third, third stringer up in Seattle after my rookie year. <laughs> nice, yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks, Warren. <laughs> it, it wasn't it wasn't like that. He he definitely fit. He definitely belonged. And you said it. You could feel some of the respect yeah. from the players around yeah. him. I mean, like, it's also fantasy. It's also flag football. So the other best quarterback was Tyler Huntley. Right? I mean, I Trevor mean, like, Lawrence was the number one pick in the draft. No. So. I mean, watching the guys out there. Oh, watching them play and throw yeah. it? Yeah, Tyler Huntley was the other guy who was like, oh, he looks really good out there. He's yes. running around and like throwing off balance and stuff like that game was sort of made for him, which was kind of fun to watch. So, yep. I, yeah, I'm not going to think too seriously about it, but I should play you the sound. This is Gino uh, and what he had to say this weekend about his contract. Obviously, nothing about the Pro Bowl affects my percentage chance that he's going to sign. And last week I was at 35 percent and maybe even trending down. Where were you at by the end of last week? 45%? Oh, what was I? I was 50-50. You said and then, you were, and, and I felt like it dropped. And then I nudged, and then I nudged maybe up or down a little it bit. It sounded like so. it was going down a little bit. Well, here, here's Gino. I would, I would love to be in Seattle, man. I love Seattle. You know, we have a great relationship, and, uh, I, you know, I think we'll work things out. Um, you know, when it comes to, like, contracts, I think every player just wants to get paid his worth. And uh, it's funny because, like, a great friend of mine tells me, like, no matter what check they write, it'll never be your, your worth because your worth isn't in money. It isn't in, you know, monetary things and so um you just want to be respected you know your contract just wants to say we respect you we understand what you bring to the table we understand the caliber player you are and we appreciate you and that's really all it comes down to well gino seems to think like it's going to get done or at least he's saying Mm -hmm. so you buy it Mm -hmm. that's a that's a very very well done right there by gino Mm -hmm. and i don't even know how much he that that didn't feel rehearsed Right, that didn't that that felt genuine and authentic, which he's felt all season long. Which mm-hmm. is Mora said in in our email last night as she put together so many of these cuts is it, it, it really is refreshing. 
coming off Russ, where everything was certainly very, very scripted and, you know, very professional and, and in some ways, I mean, conniving sounds like a bad word, but it's premeditated and it, you know, there was a purpose to just about everything he said, certainly in the off seasons, certainly when he went on the Dan Patrick show about this time of year and, you know, he was going to premeditate mm-hmm. these these conversations that didn't feel like that at no all. it felt pretty honest but he also said hey i think something's gonna get done so that's got to at least get you back around 50 percent. i don't know that it tells me something will i mean they still need to make an offer that's going to be in the realm of where he wants it to be but certainly it sounded a lot more positive than what we got last week or two weeks ago right with the you know tweets about people lying and all that i mean this mm-hmm. doesn't this had a very different tone so yes it did why you know, it was almost warm and friendly and and you know but but i i would and, and i understand the players and i've heard this for 20 some years i heard it both as a player i've heard it covering these teams you know players think their contract is all about respect mm-hmm. respect me respect my worth respect my value contracts on the other side of it when you're a non-player you understand what they're all about they're all about leverage <laughs> And, you know, Marshawn Lynch was kind of the first player that maybe I ever saw that truly, I mean, out leveraged mm-hmm. the team. And it's on maybe one hand of, of how many guys could truly do that. I don't, th- I don't see how Gino does that. I just right. I don't see how he's got enough leverage to force them to the zone he wants to, which is why this still, to me, I couldn't go above 50%. But certainly but hearing him speak that way right was was definitely gets me up let's put me at 45% or so after mm-hmm. uh, after this weekend here's a little bit more from Gino yes. he was asked if uh, if a team could get to a super bowl because of him yes 100% you know I, I haven't started for a long time so this is my first year starting after a long time this is only my third year being starting in the NFL so I'm actually a little young, you know, I'm not young in age, but like as, tar- as, as, far, as far as experience, you know, um, I don't think I've reached my peak in play. I know that I'm just enter- entering into my prime. I know that I can play another 10 years. I take care of my body. I eat right, sleep right, hit the weights, I study the right way. I know that I could be a lot better than I was this year. You know, this year I, you know, did a lot of great things, but I can be so much better. And that's kind of where my mindset is going to the offseason. It's like, man, I can't wait to attack this offseason, you know, take care of the things I need to get better at. And then next season, I'll be 10 times better than I was this year. Yeah, I, he can get to a Super Bowl. I think there's this big misperception. Oh, you got to be Mahomes. Mm-hmm. You got you to be the elite guys. Let's remember the last couple decades of, of who's gotten to Super Bowls. Rex Grossman started a Super Bowl. Jared Goff started a Super Bowl. Yeah, Brad but the Johnson question and Trent there, Dilfer but the question, Super Brock, Bowls. was not can you get to a Super Bowl. It was can you be the reason you go to a Super Bowl as opposed to a team getting there in spite of you. Yeah, I mean, I would I would challenge that those teams all got there in spite of Rex Grossman or Jared Goff, or because many of those teams got there because their salaries were at a level, right? Right, we but those guys weren't dragging their team to the Super Bowl the way Peyton Manning was or other. Yeah, I mean, come mm-hmm. on, Rex Grossman right? was terrible. I mean, he's a bad quarterback. He was not a good quarterback. And somehow his team, because the defense was so great, they were able to lead him to, to a Super Bowl. There are people who say that about Russ. I disagree mm-hmm. with it, but there, you know, we've heard that conversation about, you know, 2013. Yep. Right. And then we'll, you could spin that right back around and go, you know, for as good as Drew Brees ever was, as good as Aaron Rodgers ever was, as good as many of these, how, how many Super Bowls were they able to drag their teams to? 
I'm, I'm an, you know, it's Tom Brady that got to 10 mm-hmm. and just totally just, you know, scarred or marred this, you know, perception because he got to 10 and he won seven and, and it just didn't happen. Even, even Josh Allen's he been to a Super Bowl yet. Josh Allen been to a, hello, Josh Allen been to a Super Bowl as he will. No, he hasn't. So I think that that's a tough question, but mm-hmm. I would, and I, and I totally respect Gino's answer. Yeah. I can absolutely be the quarterback, get this team to a Super Bowl. And I think he can. And you know what? They've got a better chance if he makes less money. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to put my hands in his pockets <laughs> because he showed once again throwing five touchdowns uh, in the in the NFC's you know winning flag football game that the dude can the dude can spin it and he can throw it and he's got the respect of his peers. That jumped out to me as much as anything. I was just getting coffee this morning and and the gal said, "Hey, did you watch much of that AFC and I said, "Not really." I mean, I think the guys enjoyed it. You know that that was was, that was nice. Yeah, I mean, it, it, there was a there was a bit of a fun factor because the guys were having fun, much more so than the the charade, charade of a game it's been the last few years. But more more for me was just watching Gino interact, and that felt real. Hmm. And I guarantee you, some of the Seahawk brass was watching that in the same vein. Like we know what Gino is. I'm just kind of curious, kind of curiosity test. What is the rest of the league? Do, does he move the room, right? Does he, does he, does he move the, the needle? Does he tilt the room? Does he change the environment? And I think in some of those ways, and again, a, a flag football game shouldn't be the centerpiece of your negotiation, but it checks yet another box that once again, this guy's arrived in a pretty unique way. Well, we got a little bit more from that Pro Bowl, a, a big move by the Kraken and some Mariner stuff for you next. It's everything you need to know, and it's coming up on Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710, seattlesports.com. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. Well, after a week or so in which Geno Smith's tweets sure seem to insinuate a little frustration with the team negotiation process over the weekend he kind of indicated the opposite as he went on the pivot podcast i would i would love to be in seattle man i love seattle you know we have a great relationship and uh you know i think we'll work things out um you know when it comes to like contracts i think every player just wants to get paid his work and uh it's funny because like a great friend of mine tells me like no matter what check they write it'll never be your your work because your worth isn't in money it isn't in monetary things and so um, you just want to be respected. You know, your contract just wants to say, we respect you, we understand what you bring to the table, we understand the caliber player you are, and we appreciate you. And that's really all it comes down to. And now we got about a month. Right before the franchise tag, if that's the move that's going to be made about four weeks from now, February's going to fly by. It always does. Shortest month of the year. And with the combine starting, the, the, the big game, the Super Bowl next week, things just start to start to speed up in this process as everybody puts their plans together. Mm. Conversations with other GMs and coaches were had at the Senior Bowl last week. Those continue to accelerate. And, yeah, this isn't something, I think, like a Russell Wilson where we waited till April or Bobby Wagner or DK Metcalf, you wait till training camp. Yeah, this is the first big, no, it is first big domino. That has got to fall to set the table for the rest of the moves this franchise has to yeah, make. Yeah, and I do think it matters that he's talking in that way, just like I thought it mattered the way he was tweeting a week earlier. I mean, Gino's mentality and state and the emotional state and handling all of this stuff is important. If he is offended, if he is angry, if he doesn't want a part of this, that's relevant. And if he seems to be on good terms with the team, then certainly that is as well. But again, a lot of my belief in this has nothing to do with with their feelings for each other or his value or his worth, just whether or not they're going to be willing to pay it or whether or not somebody else is going to be willing to offer a lot more than they are. Here's the second thing 
you need to know. Well, in the meantime, it's not going to affect what he gets paid. But Gino did look pretty darn sharp at the Pro Bowl. Uh, started the first of the flag football games yesterday and led his NFC squad to a win. He threw a pick, but other than that, was nearly perfect. A couple of darts, including this one where he had to interrupt an interview with Pete Davidson. Uh, pretty much just I dressed Eli. He was uh, he wore it in the locker room, and then we came out and he took it off, and that really hurt my feelings. Um, but yeah, my job is to just not be in the way. No! I don't think you're in the way, Pete. Geno Smith with another long down to another tight end this time. The Minnesota Viking TJ Hawkinson. Yeah, Pat McAfee on the call yesterday, Brock. I thought he was pretty good. He man. was. I agree. I, you know, you, you couldn't just do straight laced. You couldn't do ridiculously over the top. And he knows he's an actor, man. He knows how to play well. Yeah, he was right in right. between. It was he, good. Was, he was right in between. Yeah, now, the outfit had Molly and Titus kind of curious to begin with, right? The, the black bro tank with the bright yeah. blue and like shoulder pads. You haven't seen like the big pointy shoulder pad sport coat in some time, but. He and Kirk Herbstreet obviously had some fun. There was fun throughout, and you know, as we talked at the open of the show, and I'm sure most sports radio shows are, are, are saying the same thing all across America. You know what? That just had a little bit of fun. Yeah. The, the Pro Bowl was dying. The Pro Bowl was, you know, it was not fun. Pl- it was not fun, <laughs> and the players didn't want to play. And you can't play a game half speed. I mean, it just it was not working. You know, what I don't know if this was like the absolute answer. Oh, I got to see that again. We got to keep running that thing back because guys still played about half speed until the ball was in their hands or what have you. But at least they enjoyed being there, and that was a big deal. Well, and the biggest thing, difference for me, was they weren't wearing helmets. So you could see them. Yeah. You could see their faces. You could see the smile. You could see the laughter. You could see the joy. Rather than having helmets on their face, it basically cover up everything that they're you know, emoting. So I, I thought of all the things, if flag football allows them to just take off their helmets and let us see them, that was probably worth it right there. Here's the third thing you need to know. Uh, trade over the weekend for the Kraken yesterday. They bring in defenseman Jacob Megna from San Jose. They trade away one of their three fourth-round picks in order to acquire him. He had a pretty good year so far. He's considered a, more of a stay-at-home, trustworthy defensive presence. He's big. 6 220. Yeah, he's a big dude. I don't know whether he's going to be a protector for Matty Beneers. I, I still think that sort of needs to come from a forward who can be a little bit more of an irritant. But, yeah, he's he's a big dude who's a stay-at-home defenseman and been playing on a first-team pairing. He'll probably be more depth here in Seattle just because they got a better defensive core than they do in San Jose. Uh, the only surprise to me is that they didn't go after somebody with maybe a little bit more playoff experience as you kind of head towards that part of the season. But he must be a high-character guy because I was just looking through. His minor league teams all named him either an alternate or a captain. And so that tells me a little something about him. Uh, and on the uh, old hardwoods, I know Salk will be starting to watch college basketball like many of you in a few weeks with March Madness. But on the old hardwoods, both on the men and women's side, some big news here locally. Gonzaga, did you see they lost? I did see that. Yeah. Don't think they're going to win the West Coast Conference this year. St. Mary's 10-0 unblemished. Gonzaga now 8-2, lost to Loyola Marymount earlier in the year. Lost this one in overtime, up most of the game, but just could not finish. And once that went to overtime, it was all Gales there. And how about the UW women? First time they've beaten Stanford in eight years. Seven years, 2016. Seven years since they had beaten Stanford. Lost 11 in a row. Stanford was number two in the country. Mm. And UW pulls off the num- uh, biggest upset in the conference this year, 72-67 nice. yesterday in Montlake. Very cool. All right, there you go. 
It's everything you need to know. We do that quarter past every hour here on the new Brock and Salk show. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, I learned about something the other day. I don't know that I have enough time to fully take you through it right now, but... Um, you learned that Molly and Mora connected this weekend? I did hear about that. That sounded that was, nice. That was big. Who was that taller? Was uh, Mora, well, Molly had some heels on, which oh. she normally doesn't wear. Yeah, flats on. Yeah, so I think maybe Molly just because Trying of Trying to intimidate heels, her, no doubt. Had a wonderful time at Dory Monson's no service and celebration, and gosh, it was healing, and it was so great, Salk, to see so many of our friends uh, Tom Tagney, shout out to you if you're listening right now. That was as just rich and fun a hug as, as I had in a while. And, and the healing from uh, from Saturday was pretty darn special oh, stuff. Oh, good. So I learned that, yeah, and I learned that Maura and Molly could connect in ways that Heather and Molly did in the suite back oh. in the day. Wow. She told me yeah. uh, she pictured me blonde. Yeah. So, and said oh, your fingers I aren't nearly as illusion. and your fingers not nearly as long as this woman on Tell the plane. Tell me you haven't watched the stream without telling me you haven't watched right. the stream. <laughs> she doesn't think her fingers are as long as we've said. No, I said there was a woman on the um, on the rental car bus. I I couldn't take my eyes off her fingers. Wow. They were twice as long as Morris. Wow. And oh, I think see? I mean I'm not she a had freak. Did she did, she didn't catch you. <laughs> wow. Not no. your fingers. Is. <laughs> she didn't catch you ogling her fingers, did no, she? This woman, no. But it was goblin fingers and then some. Wow. I mean, it was goblin hands. It fingers. was something. Goblin hands. All right. Uh, all right. Coming up next, Brock gave us a homework assignment, which is always fun. We like when Brock assigns a little something at night, and uh, we spend some time trying to figure out what we can learn about the past to help us understand the present. We'll explain next. Brock and Salk Sales Sports on seven ten SeattleSports.com. You're listening to Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports Station. Did you watch the Grammys last night? Did not. Kind of figured. Not a big Grammys family. No? No. You guys don't get into the Grammys? No. No, not big into the Grammys. That doesn't doesn't surprise me. I'm going to guess the uh, Salk Windhouse. Uh, yeah, I mean, we had three generations watching the Grammys last night. Mother-in-law, me, yep. Heather, the kids, everybody kind of getting Into together. To I, watch I did see Brock's hot take, hot TV take last night, though. And I, yep. Yeah. I've got some fusion here. Yeah. kind of thought Yellowstone was the end-all be-all for you. Yellowstone, um, the last couple years, not, not as, yeah, I don't know, just not... 1923 has just been phenomenal. Harrison Ford. Over Yellowstone. Oh my gosh. Over yes. 1883. So you're not yes. a Tim, uh, Tim McGraw and Faith no. Hill fan here. Nope. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. <laughs> that, well, the whispering guy, just, she, her character just okay. drove me crazy. So, yeah, I put out a tweet. Yeah, culture tweet last night. So, <laughs> wow. 1923, greater that than Yellowstone, greater than 1883. Unexpected. Yes, people have erupted. <laughs> I said, don't at me. There's a lot of comments on this. <laughs> and then Brock with the don't at me. <laughs> don't at me. I saw the don't at me. <laughs> I've never seen any of the three shows, and I never heard of two of them, so I didn't really yeah. know what to make of it all. I've seen Yellowstone, so now I need to check out these other ones. Yeah, I think you would actually you really like them, too. Yeah, they're okay. really good. They're good. So while you were putting out your culture tweets, Brock yeah, uh, asked us, <laughs> <laughs> in the middle of all that, what we yes, could learn about the Seahawks offseason by looking at the past. You know you're really in touch with culture when mm. you refer to it as culture. And I'm going to deal. I'm going to uh, talk about some culture now. Um <laughs> Anyway, you asked what we could learn about the Seahawks offseason by looking at their past offseasons. And I think it's a good question. Kind of went back and thought about what they've done in their offseason, trades, signings, drafts, etc. 
Uh, was there was there a place that you kind of ended up as you went searching through this? A, a little bit. I, w- I was kind of curious just from a trade standpoint. We we know the names of the big trades, right? We we remember you and I and Kyle sitting there at the gas station when the Jimmy Graham trade happened, like right around spring training. I think mm-hmm. we were packing up our show and heading back, and we're just jumping around like crazy. Can you believe this? So that was early March and some of them have been well late July like in everything in between over the years with Jamal Adams and Percy Harvin and Sheldon Richardson and Dwayne Brown and that one was even in season so you know you said last week a term that I liked and that is dry powder the Mariners have some dry powder mm-hmm. and and meaning that you know when when the right opportunity comes be it financially be it through trade they've got enough prospects they've got enough capital that they're not fully spent, right? That they've got ammo to uh, to be you know ready and willing. And I think over the years, that's what this exercise taught me, is that the Seahawks have always kept some dry powder. That even when they extended all of their stars and Bobby and Earl and Sherm and and Doug and and Russell and Marshawn and right, even though they spent that money, they've been pretty darn savvy through a dozen years of keeping enough dry powder. So that when the move came or a player busted or a draft pick, you know, got an ATV accident or whatever they had to do, that they had enough ammo in their back pocket. I think that's what this lesson in, you know, more than anything. They've always done that for sure, because you just you don't know when a need is going to pop up or an injury or this, that and the other. And you've got to go trade for uh, Quentin Richardson or whatever. That wasn't didn't end up necessarily working out that well. Sheldon. Uh, Sorry, that's what I meant. Sheldon Richardson, excuse me, not the great uh, basketball player. He could jump. Quentin could jump. Do a little of this, too. Yeah. Yes, he could. So him and Darius (laughs) Miles. So that was probably number one. Also, 88 trades. Thanks to Chalk Talk. I didn't know. Chalk talk. That's a lot. Uh, yeah, 88 trades over the 13 years. Um, many of those on draft day, mm-hmm. right? Many of those obviously manipulating the draft board and everything else. And, and a lot we'll, of them are sort of those smaller, like John Reed for a conditional sure. seventh type pick, those types of things. Yep. But a bunch of moves, man. They, yeah. they, are, they are a hyperactive crew. So now when you have the draft capital that you have, they, they've got opportunity, not just on draft day. But they've got an opportunity here leading up to this draft. If they can find one of those QB needy teams, I don't know. Do you franchise Geno and package him for with your 20th pick for a couple difference-making players? For you, be, a you better be very sure that there's somebody out there that, that wants that kind of a player. Yep. Um, yep. You know, it's funny. So I spent a lot of time kind of looking through this, looking for lessons. And there are some themes. There are some patterns. But... Not sure any of them really taught me that much. I mean, I was trying to figure it out, uh-huh. right? So one thing we know, they're probably, they've almost never gotten into free agency on, you know, the first wave. That has not been their style. Doesn't yep. mean they won't this year, but that has never really been their style. And it's part before. of why they've had dry powder. It's right. part of why they've, they don't want to do that because they don't want to limit their flexibility and their viability. Right. To be just competitive year in and year out, even in a rebuild and retool year to be a playoff team. They will almost definitely if there is a former top pick that has failed somewhere, John will almost definitely give that person a shot. Luke Jokel, number two pick. Deion Jordan, number five pick. Uh, there's like a bunch of those guys. Eddie Lacy and like any of those top pick kind of guys who have burned out somewhere. John will bring them in for Tracy. a look. Traitsy likes those Traitsy guys, right? right? Guys, and those yeah. are usually top ten picks, yep. top twenty picks. 
long, athletic, check all the traits boxes, and it didn't work out for them. Was that emotional? Was it psychological? Was it injury? None of was them have culture? worked out here either, <laughs> for the record. I mean, they've, they've had moments maybe, but none of them have particularly worked out here in Seattle. I mean, I guess if you want to include J- Jadeveon Clowney on that list, I kind of put him in a different pattern, in a different uh, mm-hmm. uh, bucket. But for the most part, none of those guys have really worked out all that well once they've come here. But mm-hmm. um he will probably find a defensive lineman that no one really knows much about, but who can probably stop the run, right? Al Woods, Tony McDaniel, the accountant, Tom Johnson. I mean, like he just has always been pretty good at finding those kinds of guys, which I'm sure is why it was so frustrating this year, you know, watching this team give up as many running yards as they did. Did you mention the guy that came out of Leavenworth? I mean, he came right out of Leavenworth and, and uh, not the prison, but like the. Oh, yeah. The well, what was his name? Big guy. Tony McDaniel or something. Pete always screwed up. I think his it was name. Tony McDaniel. Wasn't it Tony McDaniel? Yeah, I just mentioned him. <laughs> uh, well, how about the other guy, Chuck? Uh, uh, Super Bowl year. Chuck, gosh, little just spark plug in the middle. To your point, and don't even remember the names, but <laughs> they were difference makers. And, and, Quentin and McDonald? Uh, was Quentin McDonald? There was Quentin Chuck. McDonald and Tony McDaniel and a couple of <laughs> other guys up front there. But, I, yeah, I don't know who you're talking about. Chuck Darby? Was it Chuck Darby? I don't think so. No, I don't know no. that name. Okay. <laughs> not, I don't know that. Maybe there was. but The that's text not... toy will. The text toy is going to let us know here soon. He's had some trouble with veteran corners. Akilah Witherspoon and uh, what was the other guy who had been with San Francisco, but he's had a success with unknown corners like Justin Coleman, Brandon Browner, uh, Reed a couple a couple years ago. So so that one's sort of been a a pattern Mm -hmm. that might mean something. He's willing to deal picks in order to fill big holes, whether it was Richardson or Clowney or Graham or Harvin or uh, Dwayne Brown. So he's willing to trade picks in order to to fill holes. The thing is, and this is what kind of led me to wonder whether any of this is meaningful. In most of those years, he was trying to sustain rather than trying to build. Yeah. And right now, I don't know. I think they're still in build mode rather than sustaining mode around a guy in Russell Wilson that they saw with a window, et cetera. And when he was in sustain mode, it was about filling needs. In building mode was when he seemed to go out and seek out some of those big hit kind of players. Yep. And so I, I I think there might be some relevance there. But at the end of the day, I think it just comes down to being right. Mm-hmm. When you're right, it works. Right? When you take Bennett and Averill, it's great. When it's Jimmy Graham and Jadeveon Clowney, it's not. When you look for the you know unheralded second wave of free agency guy and it's Nuosu, Chenna, that's awesome. And when it's Kerry Hyder, it's not. And I'm not sure what the difference is there other than they got one right and they got one wrong. So I, I, I found it I found this exercise to be a little bit challenging in terms of actually helping me predict what they're gonna do. Our boy uh, Howdy, our friend boy Howdy would always remind us and would be frustrated and would walk in, shoulders back, all cocksure, and knowing everything that th- these organizations in our town did wrong. The Mariners, what they're doing wrong. The right. Seahawks, what they're doing wrong. Right? I think you guys even talked about it like before Christmas when he filled in for three or four hours. He had always all the answers. And I think he is, if he's listening right now, is screaming at the radio and saying, here's what the Seahawks, kind of like the Mariners, have done wrong. They've not gone for it. The, the, the year that they had a lot of money, 
and and had salary cap space like they do right God. now. Remember what they did? They went and spent it on a ton of guys and didn't give any of them any money. Correct. They went awful. Finney from Pittsburgh. They went volume. Yeah. They wanted more and more bites at the apple. Probably, Mike, because of what you just said right there. It's a crapshoot, both in free agency and the draft. It's a crapshoot. So I want to give myself more bites. And, you know, boy, howdy's like, wrong. Sign Conklin. Sign a star. Mm-hmm. You know, spend spend that on a difference maker, somebody that you know, not that you have to guess or you got to speculate or you got to project. Get the guy that's been there and done it. Well, you know what? They did that, and they gave up two first-rounders for a star in Jamal Adams. And for three years, he's been largely, unfortunately, a non-factor for you. So even if you go that route, right, and say, we, we, we do have to spend in, on the first wave, and if you do have this cap space and go get a difference maker, that difference maker, like Jamal, may fall yeah. flat on his face, you, too. You've got to get it right. But I think what Howdy would say if he were here, and I think I'd probably agree with him, is if you're going to make that kind of trade, it's got to be at the right position. You, you can't give that up too. that much for safety. If you're going to do it, you got to do it on the on the defensive line or somewhere like that. But I'll tell you what, I think safeties are important. If Jamal Adams had worked out and been the player they wanted him to be, we wouldn't be criticizing it at all. It'd be tremendous. He'd be making plays. He'd be sacking the quarterback. He'd be helping to stop the run. He'd be blowing up dudes and forcing fumbles. He'd come mm-hmm. up with the occasional pick, right? He'd, he'd knock guys around in the secondary, and that would help other guys get picks. And Like, if Jamal Adams just stayed healthy and been the player that they expected him to be, yep. it would have ended up being a good pick so Here, or a good trade. So, honestly, I, I really just feel like it comes down to getting it right. Here's the cool part about this exercise, though. Through all of these years, and you're right, and more and Justin, if you guys did some homework, you can certainly weigh in here as well. Because anytime I put homework out there, I don't want to just be a teacher to get busy work. Okay? No. I want I want everybody to have a voice and a say. Here's the remarkable thing about these 13 different years, Salk, and these 88 different trades is in that re in that in that build year, that first year, 13 trades in that first year. Never a year quite like it. A couple other years got to 12. Most of them kind of average five or, or six a year. But they have never had what they have right now. Never in 13 years. Do they have what they have right now, which is which is top-tier draft capital mm-hmm. and top-tier cap space? At the and same is, time. At the same time. Yep. And it is why Pete Carroll had and used the word bounce on the, on the Monday after the loss to San Francisco with you and I, right? You could We could feel him. He was almost bouncy in his seat. That was unlike any other Monday after the season ended. There were some Mondays where he tried to sell us that they've got a lot more than any of us know, mm-hmm. right? That they believe in their people a lot more than any of us know, that they're right on the cusp. But, you know, they tried to sell that narrative a bunch. I can't remember a Monday where he was, A, he said the word, like, we've immediately bounced. And B, had the kind of energy because he knows what they've got available in these two or three months is something they've not had in the history of this exercise. Yeah. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would. They've never had that. Um, when he first got here, he had draft capital, but I don't remember that they had much in the way of cap space. Um, and since then, they've never really had draft capital. Nope. Uh, and they've had cap space a couple times and kind of not done much with it, unfortunately. But no, I think it's a really good point. They, this is the best offseason position they've ever been in. But they got to figure out the quarterback thing first, because in all those other offseasons, they knew Correct. at least what they were doing at the most important position on the field. And Russell, for most of those years, was a really good to great player. So, yeah, that that, you know, that's the trade off they're in right now.
Still got to figure out Gino yep. first, yep. but it sure makes the rest of it a whole lot more interesting. And we'll talk to Lewis Riddick coming up at 830 this morning, a little bit about what he saw at the Senior Bowl and what the Seahawks should be looking at in terms of their draft picks. But, yeah, no, that's a, that's, that's a good point. Yep. Uh, Maura, Justin, anything anything to add? Uh, one of mine, uh, just a small one, was stop falling in love with speed over durability at the wide receiver spot. <laughs> like <laughs> Philip Dorsett, Marquise Goodwin, mm, D. Eskridge. Like, let's just find a durable potential third wide receiver. Somebody who actually plays. Yeah, that position has been boom or bust. <laughs> I mean, I, I think a few of them have, and he mentioned corner as well. But sheesh, even from draft picks, right? Even the... Chris Harper's and guys that they've drafted in the third round, you know, it's, it has been DK Metcalf, Mark Tyler Lockett, Darbo. Doug Baldwin, boom, boom, boom. And there have been just a tremendous amount of, of busts there as well. Don't you think that's true of every Probably. team? Probably. Is, is that, that came out of my mouth. That, that position, position is just yeah. sort of one of those spots where guys boom or bust. Every team except yeah. the Steelers. All their guys seem to hit. For a long time, yeah. They yeah. do. Have, they have had some pretty good luck there. There's no doubt. But and yeah, the Bengals. I, 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 do, I do think that that's one of those positions where – they're volatile. It's difficult to project because they're so dependent on the quarterback getting them the ball. So you're not mm-hmm. entirely sure who was really responsible for some of the success that you would find in in college. Yep. So yeah, all right, good stuff. Little uh, good good homework. Nice job, everybody. Everybody gets an A. It's the way we work it's not, now. No, it's not how it works. Everybody gets an A. Yep, that's uh, it's the way the grading systems are now in this country. So nice job, everybody. Everybody gets an A, and the rest of us will do blue eighty eight. This is Brock and Sox Blue 88. Blue 88! Blue 88! We take you to the field as Brock Ewer breaks down three football questions as only he can. Now here's your hosts, Brock Ewer and Mike Sox. Well, Brock, Mora told us earlier that Jake Hayner kind of stole the show at the Senior Bowl. Was he QB1 there? He was. I mean, he was clearly QB1. He was game MVP, which was not a surprise to, to those that were down there that watched the body of, of work over the course of the week. This was not a Justin Herbert uh, senior bowl. This was not a, a top-tier senior bowl. The top guys uh, were not there. C.J. Stroud is an underclassman. Bryce Young is an underclassman. Lee Will Levis is an underclassman. And those guys, you know, were just not going to participate in this. Uh, Hooker, some of the other ones were injured. DTR decided not to participate i would have i would have counseled him otherwise but he chose not to participate so you've got a qb from houston you've got a qb from a small college you've got you don't have the the top of the the draft guys that you're competing with but jake hayner made himself a case for qb five or six i think the top four in this class are, are pretty well covered right now and again a question we'll ask lewis riddick his eyes were on them uh, this weekend, but he's going to push with Hendon Hooker to be the fifth guy drafted. Is he big enough? No. Okay. Nope. He's he's not big <laughs> enough, right? Okay. And is he fast enough? Nope. Is his injury history totally clean? Nope. But is the dude just a, a winner? And every time you throw him in an environment, he just rises mm-hmm. and really beat out Jacob Eason. But mm-hmm. unfortunately, they had to go in a different direction. Went to Fresno State and just totally elevated them and went to the Senior Bowl and totally shined and outshined everybody else. And when you do that enough, finally people are like, all right, dude is a winner and dude is a player. Now, is he Chase Daniel? Right. That's kind of one of the comps that, that you would look at because Chase Daniel at Mizzou was the same kind of guy, right? Elevated Mizzou and just a winner and about the same size. I think Hayner's got a little bit more oomph, a little more arm. 
a little more, you know, kind of wiggle than than Chase Daniel did. But that's going to be what he'll have to overcome. It's like, okay, are you just a lifelong backup in this league? Or can you actually, when you get thrown in, be Brock Purdy? And he's going to say, I'm Brock Purdy. Of course he's going to say that. I'm Brock Purdy. And my measurables are Brock Purdy's measurables. And my game is Brock Purdy's game. And doubt me all you want, but all I'll do is come in and command and lead. And uh, he made the case for it. I kind of like going into the week, Jaron Hall, kid out of BYU. But I think over the course of the week, Mr. Hayner said, no, I'm the leader. I'm the guy that resonates and made a strong case. Not only is QB1 at Senior Bowl, but as I said, we'll push Hendon Hooker to be the fifth QB drafted in April. All right, question number two. So as you think about Geno Smith heading into free agency, Brock, who sets the market at quarterback? I mean, who's going to help sort of, is it him? Is he the guy who sets the market? We need to walk through this a little bit together because I've got a feel for this, but this is where you need to help me put your agent hat on. I think it's Derek Carr. And I say that because his timing is first. In two weeks here, the Raiders and him have got to make a, a decision. You know, something mm-hmm. has got to unfold. A domino in some way has got to go a week after the Super Bowl. That's the way he wrote it in his deal and, and good for him. And he made it abundantly clear, no matter who he talked to over the Pro Bowl weekend, like, I'm doing this organization no favors. Right. Oh, you want to extend that for your best interest? Sorry, Mark Davis. Tough. Uh, yeah, sorry. And they're not, not going to do it. Not going to happen. So you're going to have to make this decision on my $41 million guarantee mm-hmm. in the next two weeks, Joshy boy. You know, you want to do this and do, do me the way you did at the end of the season? Then Joshy boy and Mark, you figure this thing out. So I think that's going to be the first domino to fall. That sounds right. Right? And, yep. then, and then what? And then what, does he get traded? Does he end up somewhere? Does he redo a deal? Does do they start to have conversations that you know? Hey, we're going to talk to Indy and we're going to talk to these places and we're going to work out compensation. So to me, that's kind of the first house on the market for Gino to say, okay, all right, if Derek Carr is worth this, and then the conversation becomes Mike for the Seahawks for Gino's agent for Gino, where are you value wise compared to Derek Carr? Mm-hmm. I mean, didn't he have a better year? I mean, he hasn't been. Did he? I mean, long. Derek Carr came in, yeah. Into into the building and beat you, and you had two cha- chances there in fourth quarter. Yeah, that was overtime. one game. I mean, it was just one game, but that was head to head. He's got a body of work that has been unbelievably durable for year after year after year. He's been in a messy organization, yeah, with dysfunction around him, firing coaches, one and done. Uh, I, I mean, think just he's going to have a higher value than Gino, but that doesn't mean he's significantly better than Gino is either. And I think their skill set is actually similar. Yeah, Carr's arm yeah. is stronger, Can't but their that. anticipation and accuracy are similar. And Carr. then Gino's got more athleticism. Carr has no athleticism. I think he's the lowest. Had the fewest rushing yards per game of any quarterback this year. Yeah, he doesn't he look just, to run. He, he, I mean, just, he doesn't look to run. He's just not athletic. Question number three. So, uh, transfer portal now closed, right? Signing day done. Both so signing days. How did yeah. how did UW do? Fourth. I think pretty clearly fourth in the Pac-12. SC and Oregon are right at the top. And yeah, not surprising, they have the most collective money, the, the biggest exposure, they cast the widest net across the country. Those two from a high school recruits, from a transfer portal, are one, two, and, and you can argue about them. Utah actually third, best recruiting class in Kyle Whittingham's era. 
that whole priming the pump that you used to make fun of me with, you know, as far as Chris Peterson and getting to a playoff game and going to pay dividends. They didn't make fun of you. Well, you kind of did. I just Kyle, wondered why it didn't work for him. Well, because Kyle Whittingham stayed there for 20-some years, and now that, that that sucker is going, and now that they've been in the Rose Bowl back-to-back years and had that kind of exposure, Utah put together probably just, just a tick above the UW. And then, or you could argue and say, with everybody coming back to the UW, it's UW's probably third. Mm-hmm. You know, there's probably with Rome and Jalen and Penix all coming back. Utah did lose some of their people, so they're right there. They're right near the medal stand, which is where if you're Kalen DeBoer, you got to be. Right, you got to be. If you want to be in the 12-team playoff and you want to compete for championships, you've got to believe that your coaching, your staff continuity, and your development will overcome some of the top-tier Oregon USC recruits and talent and speed, but you can't be sixth or seventh in that race. No. you got to be right next to them, and they in Utah ended up being so. Very good. All right, there you go. That is today's Blue 88. Three good football questions for Brock every morning at 745 and uh, usually leads some great conversation and learn a little something about the game. Uh, so good stuff. Did you watch the Senior Bowl? Um, I did not watch the actual Senior Just Bowl. Just practice. I watched a bunch of the practice. The senior bowl is just, yeah, that's not, doesn't do much for me. No. No. I know a lot of people get into it. It's pretty physical. It's, it's unlike the, <laughs> it's unlike the Pro Bowl. Uh, guys get after it. It's kind and of a defensive grind, right? It's a line of scrimmage grind, right? It's those big guys that, that want to show their way and finish through the whistle. And, and every one of their agents are saying, hey, man, you know, you got to be big, bad, and tough. Like right. today is the day. Isn't like, this where Ray told us to get into that big fight uh, and stuff, yes, right? Yes. <laughs> and it was a pretty physical week. Yeah. There were a lot of, there were a lot of first and second rounders at the line of scrimmage, O line, D line, that did participate in the senior bowl. Maybe not running backs, receivers, and QBs, but O line and D line. Yeah. And it was a pretty physical sort of affair. Their, sort of their jam. Yeah. All right. Good stuff. Uh, let's see. Coming up here, as I said, we'll talk to Lewis Riddick and get a little bit more on uh, the Senior Bowl and then specifically on what the Seahawks should do. He's been very right as he will. Uh, he's he's carrying some grudges now. Like if anybody's ever doubted Lewis Riddick, he remembers. So, yes. Receipts. He's Not got grudges. Them. I know. Receipts. He's got all of them. But he's going to join. Culturally, Lewis. that's how you say it. Like I know culture. <laughs> Thank you. You're a culture so guy. In, in today's yes. culture, you say receipts. Okay. You don't that's say grudges. Great to hear. Yes, you're a real <laughs> culture guy. Uh, so we'll talk to him coming up at 830. Before we get there, speaking of expectations, I got four or five things I expect to happen once we get down to spring training and beyond. We'll get through it next. Brock and Salk, Sales Sports on 710, salesports.com.